you almost have to step back out of the tumult that surrounds an election or really American politics, just generally speaking, because it's so binary in order to reorient yourself to the fact that it's just a bunch of human beings. Like we're all just human beings. Welcome to the Wealth and Law Podcast. I am Brent Nelson, and per usual, I am joined by Rachel Sass. Rachel, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Doing very well. You uh, you went on vacation last week. I went on vacation. Yeah. Where did I go on vacation? Remember when you had to go to San Diego? Ah, uh, that was work, though. <laughs> that wasn't fully a vacation. I think we got about... Two hours of vacation in there. That's pretty much it. Yeah. It was like eating food. That was uh-huh. the vacation. Yes. <laughs> Everything else was just regular work stuff. Uh huh. But yes, we did get to go out of town. We got to see the ocean for a very short amount of time, which was nice. In the and distance. We, yep. Yep. And then we came back to dirt and brown. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, so. Sorry, what we're talking about for anybody who's confused. Uh, Rachel and I had to drive out to see some clients. Wednesday, and then we came back Thursday last week. That's about 12 hours of road time uh, for probably like four or five hours of meetings. It was actually, it was very February 2020. It was a very February 2020 kind of event where you travel a long distance for a short amount of meetings relative to the travel time, and then you Mm -hmm. just come back. That sums it up pretty much. (laughs) Yes, very much. But yeah, we got, we got good food in. We got fantastic food. You gave me a tour of Yuma, which was just lovely and so exciting. You're you're being very kind. <laughs> you're being very very kind. <laughs> but we did get some good food and that that made a diff, big difference. That to me is like uh when I am traveling, let's let's go back to February. You, you remember February this year when we used to travel and stuff? Yeah, ages like ago. When, yeah. <laughs> When I did travel, that was the one thing I always tried to do when I was traveling. It's like, all right, if I'm going to be gone, like on the road, I'm going to try to eat good food wherever I am. I'm not going, I'm not going to get fast food. I'm not going to do the quickie stuff. I'm not going to do like the deli bars in the airport. No, like I was going to like get a good meal. So I tried to replicate that Wednesday and Thursday last week. We did a good job. I feel like we did a really good job. Yeah, we got all like the local places. Yeah, there's no replicating that anywhere else. I used to be really bad. I I, I could definitely say that now. Like now that I look back on it, this was years ago. Years ago, I was very much, I like corporate. I like fast food. I like to know what my menu is across all 50 states, even across countries. And it was terrible. Like I remember one time, My husband and I went to uh, Hawaii and I think we got Taco Bell like four times while we were in Hawaii just because I love Taco Bell so much. And I look back on that. I'm like, man, like now, no, 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 no. I don't do that anymore. Like the last time I went to Hawaii was completely different. Like we get only the local spots. You know, you look on Yelp to see what's got the best reviews. You find all like the place in the tiniest strip mall kind of thing. So I have evolved and I'm very proud of that at least. Yeah, that's a that's a worthwhile evolution. Yes, very worthwhile. Well, uh, it is 
November 9, as of day of recording here, which means we just had a federal election. I don't, I'm not even sure I can believe that we finally had a federal election. It feels like we have been leading up to a, an election forever. Mm-hmm. Maybe my whole life, it might be my whole life that we've been leading up to this election for some reason. <laughs> it certainly feels that way, especially in 2020. Yeah. So uh, at the risk of of touching nerves of election fatigue, I thought that tonight we could talk a little bit about uh, how to live after an election, uh, how life can go on afterwards. And so I uh, thought maybe we could talk about, and I'd be curious to get your take on kind of what life is is like after an election. How do you kind of kind of reconcile things after an election happens and then talk a bit about uh, one of the propositions in Arizona. So this will have almost zero interest for anybody not in our state, but uh, which was to legalize recreational marijuana uh, and then talk a little bit about Black Lives Matter in the context of an election that has just occurred and what happened before the election, I guess. So that sounds like a plan for tonight. All right. Good. Uh, all right, I want to know then what is the uh, Rachel Sass three point plan for how you reconcile after an election? First, I would say just take a breather from it, right? Just like I, I know personally, my my husband's not taking my my three point plan right now into effect, um, but just taking a few days off, really, just taking a few days, right? Because the last week, everyone's watching the news. While we were in San Diego, we were constantly checking our phones for any sort of updates. I heard some people's like their little their children were saying, you know, mom and dad, why do you, why do you keep watching the map show? So everyone had the maps up on the TV. Everyone's looking. So I, I think the biggest thing is just taking a breather from it, even if it's just getting off of social media for a day, getting off the news for a day, just some sort of breather. I think that's the first. And then um, just getting connected with friends and family and then maybe just talking through everything you know obviously right now with this election let you know this is definitely the the oddest election i've seen in my lifetime at least that i i I can remember so for me it's kind of you know figuring out um how to deal with it with friends you know the fact that you know we have president biden or president-elect biden but there's, you know, still a lot of states. Arizona's still counting. You know, you have a lot of states that are still counting. So a lot of people, you know, aren't really sure yet on the finality of everything. So it's it's interesting. But I think the first thing is just take a breather from all of it. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. That was probably good advice even during the lead up uh, to the election to uh, every now and then check out. Don't listen to all of the noise that was happening about the election. Mm-hmm. So that you could feel like you were a regular human being. And and I think that's I think also that's part of it in the sense that you have to you almost have to step back out of the tumult that surrounds an election or really American politics, just generally speaking, because it's so binary in order to reorient yourself to the fact that it's just a bunch of human beings like we're all just human beings. You know, it's not. It's not necessarily right or wrong. It's not necessarily evil and good. It's just people disagreeing about things and organizations that are set up to uh, 
you could say prey upon or you might say to take advantage of the fact that there is so much narrative that that makes you forget that you're dealing with just other regular human beings that for the most part have all the same wants and desires in life that you have, even though they might view the world slightly differently than you do. Yeah, I think that's a really, really fair point there. That's that's completely true. I think with this election, you know, the tensions were so high on different sides and you just have to go back to, like you said, we're all people, we have neighbors and there's definitely some views, you know, that people can have stark differences and we can debate them fiercely and passionately. But at the end of the day, like you said, we're, we're human and at the end of the day, we should all just want to help each other and get through 2020. That's a big one. Yeah, that's it. All right. So what's your, what's your step number two or I'll give you my step number two. All right. Why don't, why don't you hit me with yours? Let me okay. I'll, I'll get you my, here's my step number two of how do you reconcile after an election? You accept results. Okay. So let me come at, let me come at this from two different angles. Cause I know that this is a little bit of a touchy topic at the moment. Okay. So if you're on the left-hand side of the political spectrum, you accept the fact that by all accounts, your presidential candidate and a good chunk of your other candidates to varying degrees of success have won in the election. And there's no more reason to beat the drum. There's no reason to rub people's faces in it. There's just no reason to, it's over. Like it happened and now it's over and you need to be focused on how do you move? What's the next step? Quit dwelling on the past like just move on to the next step. Okay. If you're on the opposite side of the political ledger and let's say you, uh, and now I'm, I'm saying on the, on either side, on, uh, a side of the political ledger and you are not buying into a lot of the conspiracy theories. So let me throw two of them at you that I'm seeing. So conspiracy number one, this is on the left is that they're uh, in the process of building enormous walls around the white house. Uh, so that Trump will have to be removed from the White House by military force only. He's not leaving the White House. Okay, that's the conspiracy theory that I see on the left going around right now. Conspiracy theory on the right being, of course, that the the whole election was a fraud, notwithstanding the fact that a bunch of, of Republicans won in the election. The whole election was a fraud. There was just rampant fraud in the election. Um, but if you're on the right-hand side of the political ledger, like, yes, you just like anybody else have the you know as a you know as a as a party because the party then files lawsuits for example on behalf of all of its members like you have the right to follow lawsuits like everybody has a right to follow a lawsuit like there's no law that says you cannot file a lawsuit it doesn't mean that your lawsuit has merit or that your lawsuit can get you the relief that you seek and from the few lawsuits that i have seen that have been filed they don't seem to be able to put a put a finger on some event that would actually get you the relief that you are seeking. So to give you an example, and, and this obviously it's an ongoing case, and I'm not involved in the case, so this is just what I've been reading about the case. And the case that's pending in, in the state of Arizona, where the Trump administration and the Republican Party, among others, have sued the state of Arizona, Secretary of State, uh, Maricopa County, uh, and others, they have said that there were uncounted, uh, sorry, improperly informed uh, voters with respect to 
ballots that had a I'll say a defect on it. That's not the exact, that's not the right term. There's some term of art for it. But basically what it's like, let's say you accidentally marked two spots on the ballot, then the default is you can quote unquote spoil the ballot, which means you submit the ballot as is, but the the place on the ballot where you marked two spots doesn't count. They don't count your vote because they can't figure out what your vote is and you can't vote twice, right? That's sort of a logical rule. But the rest of the ballot counts. Everything you got right, uh, that you didn't double mark, they count it. The other option is to redo the ballot entirely. And the workers at the polling stations were supposed to inform uh, voters of these options and give them the option. The allegation is that they didn't properly inform voters. And in some cases, they were just encouraging voters to quote unquote, spoil the ballot. Okay. Well, Maricopa County, which is a defendant in the case, is has responded, at least as of today, at the hearing saying they looked and there are 180 of these ballots. 180 is not a sufficient number to overturn the election results in the state of Arizona in favor of any party. So like, yeah, you have the right to file that lawsuit and to ask the question, but that doesn't mean that the facts indicate that you're going to be able to get the relief that you can. So once you have done that act, if you're on the right-hand side of the political ledger, you need to accept the fact that it's not possible for you to get the relief that you want, and you just have to accept the results of the election. That's how our electoral system works. That's how it always works. That's how it worked in 2016 when everything went swimmingly for the Republicans, and that's how it needs to work in 2020 when everything didn't go as well for the Republicans, even though things still went quite well for the Republican Party as a whole. Uh, at least on a national level. So that's that's my step number two. You need to you need to accept the results of the election so you can just move on with life. Yeah, I like that. That's that's spot on. When I think it just to your last point right there, move on. I think that would be like my third point in the plan of how to reconcile after an election. So all right, like you've accepted the results. Like we have to move on as a country, right? We need to move on as a country. And I say that in the sense of, you know, not just, you know, if you're on, like you said, the right side of the ledger, where it's just, you know, just saying whatever, fine. But no, we need to move on as a country in terms of we have a lot of issues that our nation is facing. And, you know, this year just... I think it's just really, really highlighted everything, just all the issues that our country is facing internally. And so that's where we need to move on. And again, whatever side of the ledger you're on, you know, the call for unity right now, that's what has to happen. We need to come together the country and we can get start working on maybe another stimulus package, right, for COVID relief because businesses are hurting we're seeing numbers go up again. So this holiday season might not be so great when it comes to the pandemic. Um, we've still, like we you mentioned earlier, Black Lives Matter. We still have a lot of racial injustice going on in our country. So we need to move forward. I think that's just, once you've accepted it, okay, let's move on. Let's get together. Let's go forward. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think you hit on a really important one too, which is probably an area that doesn't actually have disagreement to it, which is that we probably need another round of stimulus, economic stimulus. There's disagreement about the details, disagreement about the scope, but there's not a disagreement about that concept. It's not like we have 
irreconcilable differences on every single front on every single issue. That's just not true. That's false. And so, you know, if you have that feeling, I don't I don't think that's accurate at all. The political will to address issues on which there is broad consensus is really where we're lacking. That's where I get a little slightly concerned. Yeah, we, yeah, we're kind of phrasing it in in terms of like moving on after an election. But I think it's also just having the ability to come together on common causes that are very big, that are kind of existential causes for the country. And, you know, we did a couple rounds of stimulus already to varying degrees of success. And, you know, you can debate the merits of whether they were the right programs at the right time. But I don't think anybody would debate the merits that they were some some stimulus was needed at, at that time. And now we're not over the hump yet. We probably need more stimulus. And then, of course, if the vaccine that Pfizer has come up with truly has a 90 percent effectiveness rate, then there needs to be a pretty organized effort to produce the vaccine at a level that it can be administered broadly. And then we can finally go back to normal, which is what everybody wants. Everybody mm-hmm. agrees with that. I mean, nobody is, I haven't heard anybody on any side of the political spectrum say, I don't want to go back to the way we used to be able to interact socially. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, from my perspective, the sooner the better. But I mean, I think those issues are are critical and everybody can agree on those. So we got to focus our effort to the extent we have effort and energy. Let's focus it on that kind of stuff. Yep. Absolutely. So let me throw then a couple controversial, I'll say controversial uh, topics. Then one is Prop 207. I kind of teed this up. So Prop 207, for those that don't know, is a proposition that passed in the state of Arizona to legalize uh, and tax uh, recreational marijuana. So small quantities of of marijuana. Uh, So it's now not a crime to possess or use small quantities of marijuana and the legal marijuana business can be taxed uh, and is fact and in fact is subject to an excise tax um, like a sales tax and the proceeds from the excise tax are supposed to go to certain public programs like funding health care police and fire departments i think maybe schools i could have that wrong uh, social organizations the estimate is that it could raise something like 166 million dollars a year, which would be a nice chunk of change for the state. Um, and I'd say, even though it passed fairly handily, there is still some division about whether this is a good idea or not. What What are you hearing? Um, I definitely hear the back and forth. You know, it's actually really funny. Prior to uh, the election. I was in a leadership class where we discussed all the different propositions in Arizona and we had to debate all the different sides. And so uh, Prop 207 was obviously going to be one of the big ones that people got pretty passionate about. Um, And I think, too, it's interesting now, you know, when I remember first seeing a Prop 207 like on the ballot. So, you know, just a recreational use of marijuana on the ballot. I think it was, gosh was it eight years ago, maybe? It's been a while. It's been in front of the ballot a few times in Arizona. And you see the numbers slightly go up year after year, and you see the propositions, you know, get a little bit more detailed. And I think just that's now because you've seen other states go through it. We've seen Colorado do it. We've seen 
uh, you know, California, all the other states. And so you could kind of see what's worked and what hasn't worked. And I think that's been really beneficial um, in terms of getting the proposition together. I think the biggest thing um, that a lot of people are talking about with this proposition is, like you said, the revenue stream that this is huge, this is a great way to pump some money into just these these public uh, programs that really need additional funding nowadays. Um, of course, again, just given the pandemic and how much everyone is hurting right now, the revenue stream is just invaluable right now. So I think that's the biggest one. Um, the other side, of course, is going to be, um, and you and I talked about this, is just the amount of money that is saved on like not having to do all that drug enforcement now, right? Not having to prosecute all the cases, people who are in jail because of, you know, minor possession, things like that. That's going to take a huge burden off of the system right there on its own. So I think that's going to create massive change. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's an incredible amount of uh, criminal justice effort that goes into enforcing really minor drug offenses. And uh, they're almost gotcha crimes. Of course, there are issues with the enforcement of those um, drug laws that are pretty well documented. Nobody has to take my word for it. But, uh, you know, it's 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 uh, it's an empirical fact that those laws are enforced more harshly on uh, communities of color than they are in the white community, even though the rates of drug usage in the white community are the same or more than they are in communities of color. And so there's an inequity in just the existence of the law to begin with. And then there's an inequity, uh, sorry, inequity in the existence of the law to begin with, because the drugs that are being outlawed are themselves not physically harmful to anybody, really. And there's an inequity in the enforcement of those laws because of the, the impact that it has on communities of color. And you know, this is not necessarily the debate on that topic uh, to the extent that it's even a debate, uh, because a lot of this is pretty much just empirical fact. I think that overall, it's probably a good thing. I think overall, we're going to find out that it's just not that big a deal. People will be annoyed by it. There's no question. People are going to be annoyed. People are going to be annoyed smelling marijuana smoke. People are going to be annoyed that people are openly uh, using marijuana but please find an activity that people do as recreation that somebody else doesn't get annoyed with. <laughs> I mean, I don't know of one that exists. And, and in particular, one that includes some sort of substance like alcohol, for example. I mean, people get annoyed with drunk people. People who drink alcohol get annoyed with drunk people. <laughs> okay, so that element I don't think is critical. And the other the other thing that I'm hearing about the opposition to this law is is the the old trope that marijuana is a quote unquote gateway drug, which again I, I as far as I'm aware the research doesn't actually support. And if you're going to sort of try to line up like for like, not to beat a dead horse, but alcohol is far worse than marijuana, far worse than marijuana. And yet nobody is proposing that we go back to prohibition. Sorry, nobody serious is proposing that we go back to <laughs> to uh, to prohibition. I'm not trying to elevate the teetotalers here. So I think, yeah, I think overall it probably will be a good thing. And if it leads to a slightly and hopefully very much so 
uh, more equitable use of the powers of the policing apparatus of the state, then that's a very good thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, you know, obviously nobody knows. Nobody has a crystal ball. We're all guessing. And when you have a proposition and the only options are yes or no, sorry, yes, no, or abstain, uh, you don't have a whole lot of options. You know, there's not a lot of in between there. So we're, we're going to run this experiment and see how it happens. As far as I'm aware, other states that have legalized Amer- uh, marijuana have not just fallen into total decay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they're all they're doing just fine. So then that that leads a bit because it's topic it's topically connected a bit then into kind of the Black Lives Matter movement. Obviously, it was quite fervent a few months before the election and really in the summertime. Um, I think that is kind of as far as I can tell died down, at least in terms of people being on the streets. My my hope, and this is really because I don't have my thumb on the scale of the issue, uh, which is, you know, maybe bad on me, but but I don't, is that the reason we don't have massive protests in the streets is because we're not seeing reports of horrendous police killings that spark, you know, like George Floyd or Breonna mm-hmm. Taylor that sort of sparked the the protest to begin with. That's not to say that they're not happening. I'm just saying that, like, we're not hearing the reports about them. But I don't think that the I don't think the issue has gone away. I mean, do you think we've sort of moved on? We're not. I don't think we're in a post BLM world. Do you? No, absolutely not. Yeah, I think it's like you said. It's just it's we haven't seen it in the media. You know, we just kind of saw the election take over all of the news and just all over social media, and so it's just kind of taken almost like the back burner the last couple months, but the issues are all still there. Like you said, it's, it's completely prevalent still. And I think, you know, now that if people go through our three-step process and how to reconcile <laughs> with the election, then going again with the third step of moving forward, that this is an issue that still needs to be addressed. And, you know, coming together and realizing it, this is something we can all do focus on for the next year again that coming together that unity and that healing and addressing this issue because it is a huge major issue and I think that is one thing that 2020 really highlighted is we've always had this issue a lot of people just never really wanted to deal with it they never really wanted to um, face it and admit it but this is something that our country has a really big problem with and I think it does need to be kind of brought back up in the in the spotlight not in terms of, you know, people taking to the streets again, things like that. I mean, absolutely, if people want to protest, absolutely, let you know, they can continue to protest. But in terms of let's get this actually in front of the politicians and let's look at actually creating change. Let's get some legislation out there. Let's really focus on, you know, community program funding. How are we really going to address these issues? And that's how we're going to address this. Yeah, it, it's it's. Protests are fine, mm-hmm. and and they have a really important place in any democracy, and certainly historically have had a very important place in American democracy. But until you see a change in laws and, and probably more importantly, a change in attitude and public opinion, uh, not a whole lot really changes. I, I, I'm both uh, excited and a little bit... Uh, scared about the 
debate that the Black Lives Matter movement uh, creates in our country. For for one thing, I mean, to see that many people out um, protesting against police brutality. And look, I, I don't want to I don't think we need to get into any sort of granular debate about whether there were other people who were out protesting about other issues that any one side of the political ledger doesn't like. Okay, mm-hmm. but everybody knows that the core issue that was being protested was the unjust use of the police power against communities of color, period. Mm -hmm. Like everybody knows that. And the fact, and it is, again, it's an empirical fact that it's happening. It's not even a debate. You can try to justify away the facts by ignoring other facts, but anybody who's serious, anybody who's being honest can see that it's an empirical fact that the police power is used against communities of color uh, in a disproportionately negative way. And so what's exciting for me is to see so many people energized on that issue because I think it's an important one. I'm a little bit scared because I I think we've had these kinds of reactions historically and in the in the very recent past, and we haven't seen any real change. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about like uh, what happened in Ferguson and and the protests that happened after Ferguson, and we couldn't even have an honest debate. Right. Like we couldn't even have an honest debate to say, wow, that's a lot of people who are very upset about an issue. What is the issue and understand the issue like we we couldn't even do that. And I see elements of that as a reaction to Black Lives Matter. That makes me a little bit nervous that this might not be the reconciliation that we're looking for. Yeah, I could definitely see that. That's a really fair point. I think I don't know. I feel like this is the year for opportunity. I don't know. I'm a hopeful always going to be hopeful and, and optimist. And it's funny, I did this class where we had to describe what we thought 2020 was, and it was um, opportunity, um, just absolutely horrible at a train wreck. Um, I can't remember what the other, the other descriptors were, but I remember about 80% of the people were in opportunity. And that's how I kind of, you know, I feel like the first immediate, my gut reaction 2020 is, oh, what a year. Yeah. Train wreck. But then when you really think about it, I'm like, you know what? No, this is the year for opportunity. And I think when it comes to the Black Lives Matter movement and really discussing the issues at the core, I think that this really is a big opportunity for where this might be, I feel like the first time where we're not just pushing aside these issues. You know, this is not just going to be like Ferguson, I feel like this is going to remain in the news. You know, it might not be as prevalent as it was a few months ago, but I know among like my peers, my colleagues, I've seen just a lot of discussion still and, you know, still bringing up Breonna Taylor's case, things like that. And just like, we won't let it get out of the news. And I feel like that's something that, I don't know, I think can can still happen with 2020 with this issue. Yeah. Sorry. I guess I should temper my, uh, my pessimism a bit. <laughs> I, I, I am hopeful. Of course, I'm abs- I am hopeful. I think there are, there are strong headwinds and what it's going to take to have meaningful change is enormous yeah. and sustained effort. Mm-hmm. And I hope that we can have enormous and sustained effort on a scale that we haven't been able to have uh, in the recent past, I don't want to speak like 100% historically there, but like at least in the recent past, say Ferguson onwards, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, I don't know that we've had that collectively as a nation uh, or even 50% of the nation, right? And so I'm hopeful, obviously I'm hopeful that we can have it. I actually think that the biggest issue that our country faces is racism. That there's literally no other issue that's as critical and as important and as existentially dangerous to us as racism. Yeah. And we we would do a lot of good to ourselves collectively as a nation if we could address it yeah. in, in a fair way, right? I mean, you could address it in a very bad, like uh, South Africa apartheid way. That's not the way that I'm thinking. You know, address it in a in a fair and equitable way, in the right way. And I think uh, it'll only make us a stronger and more more uh, united country. Yeah, I I 100% agree with that. Yeah, I think just it's it's continuing these conversations like this that you and I are having and with others like this is what's going to keep it uh, keep it going along. This is what's going to slowly tick at addressing this issue of racism in our country and just you know, it's, I don't think it's going to be a short, you know, process. It's going to be something really long. It's, it's not going to be pretty, but it's a deep rooted issue that needs to be addressed. So I think we can do it at at some point. We can do it. We (laughs) can definitely do it. All right. Well, uh, I like that. I think we have solved all of the post-election problems. We've given (laughs) everybody the appropriate blueprint to have uh, wonderful post-election lives. Um, <laughs> but I am glad it's done. It's almost done, I should say, sorry. It's not 100% done, but it's uh, 99% done. We actually still have a few open Senate seats, so we're, we'll find out uh, the, finale, the, the finale of the uh, federal elections in January, right? I think that's when the, the two seats get filled in uh, Georgia. So, yeah. That's actually the end of the election cycle. So yeah. A couple more months. Just hold on. We're going to we're going to get through this. Yeah. <laughs> At least everyone can remember, for the most part, all of those text messages are done. The uh, calls, the mailers. Oh, I'm done. so glad. You don't have to respond. Stop anymore. <laughs> uh, I am so glad I was getting tired of those. <laughs> yep. All right. Till next time, Rachel. Thanks again. All right. Thank you. If you're enjoying what we're doing with the podcast, please subscribe and follow us on social at Wealth and Law and follow our blog, wealthandlaw.com. See you there.